And you have got to try that superb log because that is so cool. When I was trying to figure out how to do these pens, I was really rough watercolor paper that I'm going to make something that functions properly for them. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Calligraphy Masters podcast. This episode is a bit different. It's not with a calligrapher, but somebody who does stuff for calligraphers. And with this episode, I want to start a new series on the podcast. This series won't be released on Mondays, and it's probably not going to be every week. But from time to time, I'll get people, not exactly calligraphers, but which I think still are important. And I think their stories might inspire you or help you. And today's episode is about the EZA pens and uh, the guy who makes them. This episode was recorded last year. And today when I, I got the files on my computer to edit the podcast, I haven't heard from him for a very long time. I put the files on the computer and I went out. I had some stuff to do. And when I looked my uh, phone, he wrote me a huge message letting me know that uh, beginning of this year, he retired from commercial lettering. And uh, I don't want, I don't know, I'm not sure. I haven't asked him if I can share this information, but basically he does, he did some crazy changes. I don't know if they're for good or bad. I really hope they are, it's something that he needs and it's for the good. But basically uh, how the message finishes is, as life progresses, I will continue making pens for people who request an EZA pen. Most of my interest in visual arts will be with drawing, painting, woodworking, and gardening. Hand lettering is something I will no longer focus on or put any efforts into. I don't know, guys, this, this podcast is different. It's, it was special to me. I, uh, I will let you listen to it and I'll share some more stuff on the end of the podcast. Please welcome to the podcast, Alan Arreo. Hope I pronounced the name correctly. How are you doing, mate? Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time zone you're in. Hello. Yeah, this time yeah. difference with the zones. It's a bit yeah. messy, but yeah, we're here. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. See, so when we initially talked, I told you I had a commercial art background and I decided to retire so I could concentrate on pens, but I still, I got an emergency call at 9 p.m. last night. So when we're finished with this, I have to do a six letter word where it's gonna take me till three in the morning. And this, this thing that I still do is my background, it's commercial lettering and, uh, Commercial lettering is different than calligraphy. You know, I see beautiful, I see the most gorgeous compositions and just masters doing all different styles by hand. And commercial lettering is 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 something where you have to do a very legible mark and of the same name and probably like 20 different styles in a very fast turnaround time. So the pens are connected with that trade in in the way I worked, which was a lot of quick layouts, very fast, very fast hand movement writing, a way to translate ideas. And uh, I used markers for, for the longest time throughout most of my career because markers allowed me to change the style, the weight, the variation to meet all these presentations, these deadlines. 
And the problem with markers is I, as I matured through the trade, I couldn't get these real finite details. And that's when I started getting interested. I knew what master calligraphers were, but I really started, I wanted to search out and I found a really good, uh, one of the areas leading masters, Reggie Azell, and I contacted him early on. And uh, he, he was such a nice, such a nice person. He allowed me in his home and he explained for many hours about dip pens and you know traditional tools that I really I didn't understand how to use them so I took his classes a couple of his year-long classes and I was like the worst student because my interest was trying to understand how people were holding their pens what they were doing just all these technical all these technical aspects of lettering and it wasn't about doing composition or, or making something I wanted to find out what these people were using were what their backgrounds were, what they were able to do. And it was, it was a completely different world. So, you know, the, that's when I started making pens and, and it's, that was a long time ago. So everything I'm doing now is it's connected to that time when I contacted Reggie, but it goes back to using markers and it's associated with speed and deadlines and advertising. And it's, it, I had a very unusual, background because I uh, I worked in an ad agency doing custom lettering for a creative director and this is back before IMAX and all that stuff and you had to draw this type out it was it was industrial accounts but it was that taught me about contrast and composition of these letter forms for use for headlines and then that evolved into a packaging uh, position for a corporate headquarters in Illinois. And that I was doing labels where I was sketching all of these labels as if they were little book designs. And that allowed me to get into the art advertising art studios. And at that point in time, um, that's where all the that's where all the illustrators were all the people that did lettering and all these people I'd see in source books, that's that was where you had to be to really do a lot of lettering. So I got into an ad arts. I, I worked on a commission and draw basis and eventually I started freelancing. After a few years, I started contacting all these people in various packaging studios. So what happened is I had a number of art reps who were giving me work and then I was being contacted by package design studios that were in the Chicago area and it was these were very long hours and this is where that whole thing comes in where you have to translate ideas very fast. If you're talking to somebody, you've got to come up with, uh, you've got to come up with an idea or some way to convince them that maybe these letter forms should be used. And this is all, it's quick thinking, quick sketching. So when I, when I have these pens now, everything I'm doing with them, when I do these little scribbles and stuff, it's all quick and it's trying to figure out how to do these fast movements movements without restriction. And when I watch the masters like Yves and Victor Cams and all these guys that are just, you know, they just, they can move it. I can't do that. But when I tweak these pens or when I keep on going through all these different prototypes, I'm trying to understand how to make that tip move that way. And there's people that could take it way beyond my imagination. And it's so cool to see that. But the pens are connected with commercial art background. You know, I, I'm never going to be somebody that's like a Theosone or some calligraphy master that's lettering on buildings or 
that's that's a different world. Well, and, uh, it doesn't really matter because uh, your pens are used by calligraphers, and uh, obviously somehow you have love for the letters. I mean, if you're doing pens, I guess you you are part of the this community. It doesn't doesn't really matter if you do calligraphy. And also, it's not you. Uh, in my opinion, you don't need to do like this master beautiful calligraphy like. It's 21st century and uh, there are so many styles and categories of calligraphy yeah, yeah. that uh, I guess it's more about the love of uh, letters and stuff like this. But you mentioned Chicago and can you tell just a little bit about yourself, like where are you from, how old are you? And Well, I, always, I grew up in the Chicago area and uh, my, my father was a printer, so there was always a graphic arts connection, but he was also a carpenter. So at an early age, I got to, I really understood how to use tools and different construction methods and stuff like that. And uh, somehow when I was a child, I knew I wanted to be involved in, gra in, in graphic arts. I, I didn't know what it was. When I initially started, I wanted to be an illustrator and then I met illustrators and I knew I didn't have what they had, which was this phenomenal drawing ability. But yet somehow I gravitated towards type and handwriting. When I was in grade school, handwriting was taught. And by the time that ended getting ready for high school, we had to learn how to use a typewriter. Everything was becoming mechanical. So there, I, I, always, I always felt like I, there, I had some connection to handwriting in a way. So that resulted in college, I was doing some lettering, but it wasn't anything like commercial lettering. It was just, it was posters or whatever it was. It was actually really horrible looking stuff, but that allowed me to get into the graphic arts profession working for an advertising agency in Milwaukee. So, you know, there was always a connection, but it wasn't until I got this like gopher job where I was, I was it was a horrible job. I was doing, every, I had to get into an ad agency somewhere. And these people allowed me in. It was like, I, I forgot if I was making four or $5 an hour. It was really bad. And I was the guy that would clean the photostat cameras. I would go run errands, whatever. But there was a creative director. And he, he knew from looking at the posters I did that I had some skill to help him with his hand lettering. And he was doing stuff for Wisconsin State Fair and all these, all these like brand coin machines and industrial stuff, J.I. Case. And all this stuff required very bold weight letter forms. And he was teaching me about contrast, teaching me how you can cheat letter forms. It was, none of this stuff was using a typesetter or anything like that. It was drawing stuff by out, by hand. And you could really legibility and contrast left to right read. And all that stuff is so important. And by understanding this technical construction of these letter forms, and, and I, I was in a workshop once where Luca Barcelona was talking about a trees and filtering light. And that's the same principle. It's like you, you can't have these contrast breaks, especially if you're trying to read something. So I, you know, I had, at an early part of my career, I had an understanding of how to draw type and how to apply it to advertising. But then I had to get into another position that would allow me to do a lot of stuff so I could show people that were art reps and get into the, get into the big ball game, which is the uh, illustration and custom lettering uh, ad art studios. And ad art studios don't exist anymore. Um, uh, 
one ad art studio I was in, it had illustrators that were, their work was exhibited in society of illustrators. They had storyboard artists there that were phenomenal. And and an amazing, amazing photo retouchers and some people that did hand lettering. You know, it was a mix of all these, all these phenomenally talented people. And that was a place where you had to meet deadlines. I mean, it was all about, you had to be really fast or else you were out the door, you were useless to them. So I would get inspired by seeing what other people would do. And then uh, at around this time, there was the possibility of Macintosh computers. It was all, it was like prehistoric stuff, but Illustrator was coming into the game and I had to, I had to understand how to use Adobe Illustrator. So I got a beta version of that and I started working on it. I had a buddy that was a, he was a programmer and he had a really good technical mind and he would help me with questions that I would have about trying to do certain manipulations in Illustrator. And after about six months, I, I, I had really become very high, highly skilled in that. And that's what allowed me to break away from the advertising art studios, being on site, I could go out and freelance. And uh, I was one of the few people in Chicago at that time that was using the Illustrator exclusively for uh, production art. And it, this, that time was really, that, that was kind of a horrible time because the output was through Linotronic output. There were only a few service bureaus and you had to send files over a, like an 1800 baud rate modem that would take an hour and a half. And like, as soon as the file would be transferring, like three minutes left, the phone line would cut off and you'd have to do it again. And then you'd get this Linotronic output and you would still have to like paste it together and give an art director this big board of lettering. And, you know, eventually that evolved and it became where we could just send people film. And, uh, but everything, you know, I, I, was, I was doing work for like beverage accounts, food accounts, Chicago's a big food area. So everything that I was doing was for print reproduction and it, it was so unusual because I could, when I would go to a client, I would walk down the street, I would see lettering that I did on a bus. I would see it on banners on Wacker Drive. I would see it on the side of a building and then I'd go home and I'd see my lettering on TV. And then I had a art, I had a artist rep. This guy was really good. And he, his direct account was with Franco. And Franco had all the McDonald's and Taco Bell lettering. And for a number of years, all my lettering was on the windows of Taco Bell and McDonald's, where it was like 59 cent, you know, 59 cent Big Mac or whatever. And it was so great because no matter where I was going, I would see my lettering. And to be in that position, it was all about being able to turn stuff over in a quick time frame. So having the illustrator, I was able to get work that other people weren't able to produce in a quick turnaround time at that point. But then everything changed. Everybody started understanding how to use the illustrator. And it, it was a very unusual time. So I, I constantly used markers and uh, later on in life, I, I didn't understand what the calligraphers were. I just didn't understand how they were getting these finite details, just gorgeous stuff and a marker wouldn't do that. So I had to figure out how to make a pen to work for my hand 
And I really believe there's some connection with my early years of handwriting. I wanted to understand how to move a pen as if I was handwriting or whatever it was. And all the lettering I had done for commercial work was very slow, very, you're working on a keyboard, track, ball, Wacom pen, whatever. It's not the same as handwriting. There's, there's something there where it's a, a slow process. So this, as I've gotten older, I've really wanted to reconnect with that, that writing or that movement. So, you know, these pens that, what's happening now with the pens that I'm making is this particular shape, I know this is a pretty common shape, but what's happening is when I'm using this pen, I'm, I'm grasping it up here. It's got a large ball and it's got texture on it and it allows me to move it around. And then it's got this short, this very narrow section in here as if it's a paintbrush and allows me to turn it backwards where I've got the tip pointing towards me. And when I use these pens, it's as if it's a drumstick where I'm twirling it and doing things and shifting, shifting the angle of the metal touching the paper surface. And this all has to do with being fluid, being, being fluid with the movement of the wrist, pressure, whatever's necessary to get this thought down or get a few words or just an image down in a very short period of time. You know, a lot of these, when I test these pens, everything I'm doing is just like a quick scribble and it has some really beautiful marks in it, but then I throw it in a box and set it aside, look at it later, then recycle it or, or whatever. Cause it's all about trying to understand the movement, trying not to have a restriction. And that, uh, that limited, the no restriction is tied into being able to use markers. Markers, you can move them any way you want. You know, and when, after I talked to Reggie, like all these, he was showing me Mitchell tips. He was showing me speedball. He was showing me coin and pen, all this stuff. And it, I could never move that stuff the same way. There was some kind of like it would catch or there's something that for me, it just didn't feel natural. So I, yeah, I started bending metal. I had like folded almost, it's like these square folded pieces of metal that were the, uh, they were the pre- tips of this EZA tip because it was metal that folded, it was metal that bent, but yet there was something missing with the finite hairline of it. I couldn't get, I couldn't get a real fine line off of that. And I kept on trying so many different shapes and I gave up on that after a while. And then I started having more success when I started bending metal to a point. And, uh, you know, this, what I'm doing now, it's taken thousands and thousands and thousands of variations. I would, early on, I would work on a pen like four or five hours. I'd know in two minutes if it was a piece of crap or if it was something to continue pursuing. And you go through these long sessions where you don't, I had no clue what, it, I knew what I was trying to achieve, but I had no clue how to get there. And even now with the tips that I make, I'm right now I'm tweaking one of the designs where I'm trying to get more bend into it. So it's a constant search for freedom of movement. So you can you can get what's in your mind or what your what's in your eye down in a very fast manner of time. And that's, you know, the pen, I it, it's always gonna be this way. I'm always gonna tweak the designs and change them slightly, but there's there's some really good designs that I won't stray too far from, but it's I don't know what the answers are for everything. You know, even here's an example of 
this is this little odd thing right here. This is uh, epoxy putty. I use this to repair a deck on my house. And I figured this is really great stuff because I could shape it to my fingers. And I just wanted to see what would happen if I had a pointed, a traditional pointed nib in here, just moving with my fingers, no, no shaft back here, just something where I felt as if my finger is touching the paper surface. And this was an okay idea, but I think there might be something in here to pursue with the easy eight tips. I don't know when that's gonna happen. I'll keep playing with this. And it's the same way with this shape. This shape is something that I did like 10 years ago, only it was shorter, it had a bigger groove in here. And I, I recently went back to that because it's starting to make more sense with this larger textured area, with the way my fingers grip that pen for movement or just, you know, if I'm, if I'm barely touching this thing, I want some kind of groove into the surface to allow me to twist it because the pen's all about like changing angle. So this side edge makes contact, the more side edge, the larger the mark. And then you have to also be able to like shift the pen upwards, get a hairline. And it's not, what's different with this tool, if you look at a speedball, you're not really moving a speedball here, there, wherever you're, you're trying to keep a fairly consistent pressure on the flat edge of that tip. And this is, this is different than that. It's, it's just something that it requires a lot of movement, a lot of switching of directions. And this is at this point in time, I'm kind of limited because I'm just starting to learn how to do video. And I really have to post videos to explain to people, you know, don't be afraid to press this metal hard into the surface or, or whatever. I don't think people are aware of the full potential of the shape of the tip. Well, so you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's uh, necessarily to do make videos. I mean, so many calligraphers uh, use your pens. You can just ask people to make like few videos for you, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was even thinking to ask Stu Swan to make some stuff because I, I, I guess he has, uh, he has those pens. As you say, Mr. Camps as well. I I'll ask, the, ask I can ask them and I'll do it. But I was curious, how, how long ago did you actually start making the easy pens? Like, oh, you know, you're talking about maybe like 15 years ago when I started working with the metal. And then um, I did like about 10 years of, 10 years of all these different kinds of tip shapes. And I also belonged to the Chicago Calligraphy Collective. So I would get together with people and show them what I had. And a lot, of those, a lot of those early pens were like just disasters. It's like people, you know, they couldn't find, it's like what I was hoping to achieve, it wasn't there. So I'd been through all this like trial and error and I'd have to refine. And if somebody would like take the pen and just think, you know, I can't get this thing to work. I'd have to try to figure out why it wasn't working. So I went through all these variations and then it was, I was in a workshop with Yves, and this is the thing with life, you know, there's a bit of luck, you have to be in the right place at the right time, but you also have to have some, some drive and some commitment to do something. So I, you know, I had one of Yves workshops a long time ago, which was, uh, I think it was a composition or something. And I really, I was fascinated by his gestural writing because it reminded me of handwriting, freedom of movement. And he came into Chicago and he was doing a, a workshop and I got involved in that. And I brought the pens with me 
and uh, initially he there was no interest. He didn't. He he wanted to concentrate on what he was teaching. So the last day of the workshop, we're packing up, and some of the participants in the back corner were. I gave them the pens to play with, and then I heard one of them call me. She's going, "Alan, come over here. Yves is uses using your pens." So I went over there and then it's like he was having a really good time making these long stroke movements and all that stuff. And, and then we connected and I was trying to explain what the pens are. He never saw anything like it. And uh, so that I was in the right place at the right time. If I had never taken that workshop, you know, I, I who even knows if we would be talking right now. And when he took those prototype pens back with them, I just I got overwhelmed with email and I didn't. I didn't know what I was doing because here you have a prototype and then you have to figure out how to make it into a production item where you could reproduce it. And I didn't have the technical skills to do that. I didn't understand the machining involved. And it was, it was uh, I, there was a friend who just started talking to me about technical aspects of refining the metal edge. And he was very, he was very helpful. And so that was the point where I had to, about four, you know, four years ago or so, that's where I really had to start learning how to make the pens. And when you're talking about a pen as a product, something that can reproduce, you have to have so much accuracy in the assembly process. If I'm off by 0.01 millimeter, the thing is junk. When I'm pressing the plates together, it just, there can't be any flaws. And so I had to I had to get a vertical mill. I had to get a fairly decent lathe with digital readout on it to be able to machine things fairly accurately. And I wish I would have known this early on because it it would have saved me a lot of frustration early on. Um, so everything I do now in this pen process. So I've been at this you know selling these pens for about four years. I'm still trying to figure out how to refine the assembly fixtures. When I drill into this metal, I'm trying to figure out how to lock it in so there's no shifting. And it's a constant technical thing. I'm not using CAD milling. It's, I could use CAD milling, but it's just, you know, I, I've seen so much beautiful machine work done by these people that are not, they're not using CAD systems. So you could do it manually. It's just being able to read uh, on a digital uh, scale of, what you should shift here or there. And, you know, to do this stuff, there's, there's a lot of technical aspects of it. It's just not making the pen. And then after I, after I spend like a couple of days milling new fixtures and I assemble a nib, I can still, the thing might not work for the adjustments I'm making. So there's all these little, you're working in very micro changes over a long period of time. And there's sometimes I have real failures with what I'm trying and then I go back set it aside and then pick it up later and I see something good in that. So I'll go back to that specific point and rework it. And, you know, it's, with the tips, you've got to have some bend, some forgiveness to it. There has to be almost like a suspension feel to it, but the thing has got to move. And that's the trick of it, you know? And I, I don't think the pen will ever be outsourced because I can't imagine somebody trying to assemble this thing and testing it the same way I test it. Everything I make, I test. And I know within a few strokes, if I've got to refine the edge more, or if it's, or if it's just, if I have to 
file off too much metal, the thing is useless. So everything I'm testing, and sometimes I hit it right on, like spot on, and it's such a great feeling where I make this tip and it's just, within a few strokes, it just flows beautifully. And I'm going, yeah, this one, it's like heaven. This nib is like heaven. Thank you. And then I'll go downstairs and I'll make another one. And it's like, what is, you know, it's human error, but yet there's still an accuracy and a technical aspect associated with it. So that's, and, and you know, as you get older, you've got to have challenges in your mind. And this thing about all the technical aspects of making a pen, it's really good. It's good for my mind and it keeps me active. And it's, uh, it's like a, a long game that I'm playing to tr try to figure out how to perfect this thing. And in the reality of it, I don't think I ever will perfect it. I'll, I'll get versions that are really good. But perfection, I don't know what perfection is because you always keep on striving to change things or make it better or, or looking at something that's older. So it's, you know, it's, it's a different tool. It's not going to be what, you know, to try to do traditional hand off of it, forget it. It's a different tool that's made for writing or just expressive, expressive ink marks. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if people are, buying the pen if they're expecting it to be like a Mitchell or whatever and it's not and you could you know when I play with this stuff I can mimic what some pointed pen expert would do but if you look at everything with a microscope it's not the same but yet from a distance it's like hey that's that's a pretty nice pretty nice imitation of pointed pen and the thing of it is is it helped to do that movement I'm doing it in a really fast manner. I can't even do that with a pointed pen. So it's allowing me to move this thing, you know, almost like dancing. Does this mean that the inspiration behind the pen is, is, is taken from uh, pointed pens? I love pointed pen work and I see the most beautiful, the most beautiful flourishes off of that. And when I was, when I was working in the ad art studio, that was the most difficult at Early on in life, for me, that was the most difficult like task to accomplish. It was it was nearly impossible. I couldn't understand how these uh, art rep would come in and say, "We need this for a for a wine bottle." You know, you got like three hours, whatever. And I couldn't. I I'd look at examples and I couldn't figure out how these people were doing it. So that I I always want to try to figure out a way to be able to do a lettering style like that. And I, I know guy, I know people that are really good at point and pen. I can't, I can't hold it the same way they're doing it. Even when I, even you know, I've made, I've made a ton of different oblique holders, and I practice with them because I want to know what a point and pen's going to do. I want to know what it's going to do in my hand. And no matter how many times I screw around, put rubber, change the shape on it, do whatever, I'm never moving it as fast as when I do it with an easy A. So that thing about movement and being able to mimic something like a beautiful age or some something that looks like you know some point and pen master did that that's something that i could accomplish with an easy a because it's the tip has some suspension in it it's i'm not going to have a restricted movement and you know my goal isn't to be a point and pen master but it's to be able to write some words or something like somebody would and then switch a style or do whatever i i I'm into this thing where I just want to switch different letter form shapes and use a combination of elements that I've seen in black letter, point and pen, whatever. And, and 
mesh that all together. So being able to move that tip as if I was somebody that's a point of pen master is very important. And I can do it with that tip because the metal, even though it's sharp, it's got a little roundness on the very tip of it. And when the metal squeezed together, I could get a hairline line off of it. It's not gonna matter which direction I'm moving the pen in. And there's some strokes that I, I could do backwards letter forms, strokes that are just, they're impossible to do with a point and pen, but yet I could pull that off with an easy hand. Um, so it's just, it's, it's all about trying to, if I hear something funny on TV or on a, or, or just in the background noise or something, I want to, I want to capture that thought or whatever it is in a really quick way. And I'm going to use whatever styles are, are appropriate for a filling of the area or, or, or going into contrast or legibility or whatever it is. So being able to use a tool as if it's a multi-tool where you could pull off all these different styles, it's, that's something that I think the pen does. And that's still associated with a marker where I was doing marker and I'd have to come up with like a thick to thin script or a handwritten script or, or just bold weight letter forms. And then you go in and you refill and refine the edge. That marker allowed me to create multiple styles within a few hours or whatever. It's the same thing with the pen. There's, there's that commercial connection where I've got this tool that I want it to be more like it could do a variety of styles. It's not specific to one style. It's just something you could use for a variety. The more you understand about the side edge of the metal contacting paper, the more you'll be able to pull off a different, a different uh, visual effect. So, uh, is there some specific papers that are better for the easy pens, um, or well, that you right get, now, or at least that you recommend to use with those pens? Hard pressed, hard pressed semi slick surface is what I can get the finest tear lines off of. Just, it's like I can, I can mimic. Uh, I, I do a lot of like warm up sessions where I'm doing caps. Uh, cap letters in a script form. And I'm getting beautiful hairlines off of that. If I go to a paper that has texture or a softer surface, the ink will bleed out more. And then I'm also noticing that there's some inks, there's some inks that just won't, they're too thick to work with the pen. I've been using fountain pen inks. Mm -hmm. And if you start, uh, I know Yves uses gouache and other, other people have, and they're very successful with that. Um, the, the thicker the paint media, the more it has to be cleaned out with water or dipped. I use a cup that has a toothbrush on it, very soft toothbrush. It's got water filled up past the toothbrush. When I start noticing the ink isn't flowing right, I dip it in the water, I rub it against the toothbrush, wipe it off on a piece of paper towel, and then I reload it. And whenever I reload that tip, I wipe the excess off of the outside of the metal so I could get a really clean a uh, really clean mark on the surface. If I have excess on the outside of the metal, I'll end up with a blob somewhere. So it's it's no different than somebody flicking, you know, filling a tip and flicking it to get the excess off. It's just the way I use it. So paper surface does matter. And the, I've, I've done some stuff on extremely rough watercolor paper where I can hold a fine line. It's really cool because it, the effect comes out all deckled. Um, there's, I, I even letter on really cheap laser, laser print paper. 
the fine hairlines are not going to be the same on that, but it's good. It's good practice stuff because it's recycled paper. I can recycle it again, and it just gives me the I, the notion if this tip's working or if I can move it. And you know, it allows me to make a lot of mistakes or whatever. And there's not a high financial risk with that paper because it's just it's easily accessible. And you know, it's sometimes I'm reluctant to use really good stuff like Reeves or Arches or whatever because I'm just I'm just scribbling and practicing, and that stuff's really expensive. But the results, the higher quality paper, the results are much better. You know, if I were, I imagine if I did something on vellum, it would be even a higher level so it you know it's 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 kind of common sense of what you have experienced before with materials and paper that you're using it's going to be no different with my pens because um you know the better stuff works better yeah but, uh, and uh, okay you say you've been doing it for like 15 years and you're kind of selling them for the last four years well, what's the yeah. drive behind making the pens and keep making them and not stopping? Like, uh, what, okay. what's motivate the motivation behind? This is what the motivation is. Okay. It's making a tool that other people can use that might make their lives a little bit easier for whatever they're trying to achieve. I, there's no financial gain in this because it was investing in tools, whatever. That It takes me like two to three hours to make a pen, even a cheap pen. Because I've got to make it, I've got to mill all the parts, and then I test it. There's no quick, whenever I rush it, the thing, it doesn't work. It's, it's, it's pointless to try to think of doing more than a couple, two or three pens in a day. So I've, I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm a very slow pen maker. But the thing that, this is what's so great about it, and I never had this with commercial lettering. I did lettering that was on television for multi-million dollar accounts. Creative director would, it's like after the artwork was sent off, the creative director could care less. It's like, you know, so what? You know, big deal. So you did the sluttering to me. So when I make a pen for somebody, I get such, the feedback I get, it's like, oh, this works great. It's so wonderful. And it's like, it's better than anything I experienced with commercial lettering, okay? And it's just, it's knowing that I made something for somebody that I came up with the design of that was in my head. And it's just something that they're gonna find beneficial as they progress in the lettering arts. And that connection with people all over the world, it's, it's so, it's, I'm so fortunate to have experienced this because I don't think a lot of people do experience that. Uh, so the motivation, it hit, it's important to receive payment for making pen because I've got supplies. I have electrical, I have insurance and all this other stuff associated with making it. But the real motivation is seeing how people use it. Seeing, you know, every, when I was, I sent Victor Cam some pens once and I saw some stuff he was doing and I was thinking, God, this is so great. You know, watching that movement and I sent Eve so many pens. He sent me an email once and goes, oh, I can't handle any more pens. And he shows me a drawer. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, but like I was trying to share ideas with him. And when I would see his work, it's like, that's so cool. And then I, I, there's other people that are just, they're phenomenal at it. And they'd be using a pen and I'd see something they'd post on the internet. And I was thinking, that is so, it's so neat to know that that pen that are using came from my workshop, but it's not, you know, a lot of this has to do with talent too. There's, I'm not 
like taking anything away from people's talent. It's just they've been able to take it further than what I can imagine. And that that's a really great life experience. So I keep on doing this stuff. Well, talent is indeed important, but uh, yeah. the tools that you use are like are equally important in my opinion. I mean, I have lots of pens, but some pens are better than than others. And yeah. with a good pens, you can express yourself much better. Yeah. So you know, and I we talked about this early on. I mean, I'm 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 in my mid sixties now, so my time, and I don't mean this in a in a odd sounding way, but my time is limited to make these because there's going to be physical things and all these things that happen with age. So right now, I'm really involved in this because I know that there, there will be a time where I can't do it. So, you know, I'm going to use whatever time I have remaining in a really positive manner to try to get more of these pens out there. And if it ever reaches the point where I can't do it anymore, somebody's going to have to look at this design and figure out how to you know, do something similar, or whatever. What, what it is? What have you considered, like uh, having, like what is called, uh, someone that you pass on the the knowledge for the craft? I would do that. I, that's something I I do think about quite often. I would have to teach somebody. I would have to spend time with somebody to teach them, and that may happen as I as I'm getting much older, uh, so they could continue doing it. You know, I I research this prior to doing it and i got a i got a u.s patent on it and you have to do research and you have to make sure that there's nothing similar and the thing that i didn't understand is there were no pens that were that design there was nothing similar to it prior to uh submitting for the patent so i think in the timeline of lettering arts it's a it's an important tool but it you know when you look at the centuries of lettering arts this is such a minimal time span but I think there's something with that design that needs to be continued as decades progress because it's a good design and it allows, and, and you know, you have people that have been doing gestural and that lettering, so that's accepted. So it's something that fits into this timeline right now that needs to be continued much further into the future. So whatever happened, you know, it's, it's a positive, a positive aspect of the lettering arts and, and no matter how small of a uh, you know just I'm trying to come up with the right words but there's 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 stuff that has happened that is just way beyond you know making a pen or whatever in the lettering arts but it's a tool that I think has some value so you know when perhaps maybe like 50 years from now or whatever there'll still be an easy A out there. And then somebody will research and go, this was the guy that designed this a long time ago. This was the design here, here, this is what it is now. This is what it evolved into. So I, I can't explain how that tool happened at this point in time or anything like that, but it does have a connection with somebody that was into the commercial art trade. And the commercial art trade had nothing to do with the calligraphy. You know, I mean, they're two separate things. So, and then there's also the technical aspect of understanding how to build things, which is connected to woodworking early on. And, um, you know, so what, whatever, it's a good thing. And the, the, here we are right now. So I'm on your podcast and we're discussing. The last time we spoke, uh, you, you told me something that, uh, like you said that some people are saying that your pens are too expensive. And 
Uh, I have something to say about this because I checked like just before we started recording. I check your website and I think the like you have uh, some different versions, but if I'm not wrong, the most expensive one was like fifty dollars, right? It's uh forty. The basic pen, which has the original flex tip in it, is forty. Okay, so so what I want to say is like first of all, I don't own any of those pens, but I've seen like people, my friends that use them and. Uh, also, like the reason that you're on the podcast is Steel's one. Like he rec- he he talked about those pens, and if he recommended you, he recommended you, I totally trust him. So what I've seen just online, without having to write with this pen, I can guarantee hundred percent that this is a quality pen. It is unlike any other pen that I've seen. Like the most closest things that that it looks like it's a ruling pen, but at the same time it has nothing to do uh, with the ruling pen. And also I want to say to the people who are watching or listening, like even a $40 price, uh, it's it's not an expensive price, you know, because this is a unique pen, first of all. Second of all, you are doing everything by yourself, right? Oh, yeah. So you are not a, a company, you're not a corporation, you, you, you cannot uh, make like hundreds or thousands of pens. So when, whenever some product is uh, that unique and... Uh, that good like it cannot be cheap i mean for me i think even 40 dollars is cheap for this pen for what it is like such unique and quality uh, pen it can be much more expensive because there are yeah, but, there are some right. pens which are even more expensive but people don't complain so i don't know why you know, pe- the, re- the reason for the 40 dollars was because over over the years some people have been very reluctant and i you know even myself with buying supplies i wouldn't want to spend <sighs> I'd be a little reluctant of buying a $75 pen or whatever. And that, that is sort of a big investment. So I kept on trying to think of what, how can I make it where I wasn't spending a lot of time milling wood and so forth. So I cut off some time. I'm using a birch dowel rod that I get at a building center and I'm tapering the end and it saves, it saves me a lot of machining time from cutting raw lumber. So that's how I figured I could do a cheap pen not cheap in quality, but cheap in a uh, affordable way. And I've had a lot of people contact me about that. And I, this is the way I figure it. So they'll use that pen and if they like it, then they'll want to get something that's a higher, you know, they'll want to buy something where you can have interchangeable tips or whatever. So there's no loss. You know, there's, like I said before, this is not a monetary thing. It's trying to get people more accustomed to it or whatever it is. And uh, just trying to make, the pen more well-known so there it's not i i don't see it as a detriment in any way it it just allows access for people that are kind of reluctant and don't know about but as i said last time my point is if somebody is saying that this is a too expensive pen like nothing mm-hmm. is too expensive if if you think for of course i know like some people around the world 40 dollars could be a lot like yeah. uh we live in a world that not everything is equal. But my point is, even if you're a person who, for who, whom like $40 is a lot, I guess everybody is drinking everyday coffee, spending money yeah. on co- all kinds of stupid things. If you really want this pen, you save for like one week, two weeks, one, two months. It doesn't matter. If you really want the pen, you save and if you and you buy it. Like, yeah. uh, I think it's worth it. And it's worth 100% because you're doing everything by yourself and and this is unique and it 
it makes the price even more like because you're not a you're not a factory there are no, no machines doing everything for you like you just said you spent 15 years just okay you spent 11 years before you started selling them this means this is a lot of time just trying to figure out how to make this pen that good you know and every yeah. every dollar is worth it i i think 40 dollars is nothing for this pen yeah you know and but you know they're all the years uh, in life you can't predict what road you're going to go down something you know so the years involved trying to figure this out i i probably would have done that one way or another even if i hadn't connected with the eaves or whatever because i was trying to figure out how to make a tool to allow me to write and that writing goes back to grade school where we everything was handwritten and somehow that was because of how everything changed in the world with technology that got set aside so i you know whatever happened I would have still been trying to figure out how to make a writing tool for my hand. So, you know, all the hours involved, that was just something that happened in life. And, it, you know, it's just, that, that was a necessary step to get to the point where I can make the pen, but there, it's, it's, it is a lot of work. And I test every single pen, you know, there's times where I think, I've got an order to do for somebody. I'll test it. And there's something not right in the metal edge. I can't even buff it out. I don't know what it is. And I, so I have to go redo another tip. It works like a charm the next time. So I know if this stuff was done in a factory and a production line, that wouldn't happen. You'd get some kind of piece of garbage out there that people wouldn't be able to move around or, you know, so I, the, this is all, this is the handmade thing with handmade there's a lot more care that goes into the detail with production. It's, you know, it's like, you don't know what you're getting. You don't know who's producing it. Then that, that's it. Like, I mean, some, some pilot parallel pens cost between 10 and 20, 30 dollars. And, and they're, yeah. they're manufactured in huge amounts. Like, I guess it costs like few dollars just to make it like probably one, two dollars, but they sell it for much more. So, so if there are people who think this is an expensive pen, it's not guys, it's uh, super cheap. Like, for example, do, do you have an idea how many pens have you done? Like, I don't mean like throughout all the process in figuring out, but from the moment you, you decide, okay, this is like a pen that people can write. Do you have any idea how many have you created? Probably say about 10,000 pens. 10,000 pens. Wow. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's, and a lot of those were just, they were just total failures. Here's, this is another, I, I forgot to mention this, but this is really important. So. Okay, at the time where people started to show videos and all that. I, and I don't know if you ever saw this. There was a person, a calligrapher. He had a maybe Todd's one pen. Huge nib on it. And whoever this was, he was doing this beautiful flourish. He was doing these massive swells in the pen stroke. And that video was out there for a number of years. I, I could never find it again. So what happened when I was... When I was trying to figure out how to do these pens, I was buying all these maybe Todd Swan pens from a person in England that had wet noodle tips on them. And then I learned a lot. I learned how to repair vintage fountain pens and all this stuff. I was trying to, I was trying to understand how metal bent. And those early century pens had really cheap gold in it that was made for the common men. So everybody could buy these pens and write with them. And as years progressed, the gold changed and it, could, it wasn't as flexible. 
So there was something I was studying with all these antique fountain pens about how pressure would affect the swell. But no matter what I did or what I purchased or what I used with fountain pens, I could never get what I saw in that video with this person with the maybe Todd Swan doing these just gorgeous swells. So as I started bending metal, it was all trying to figure out some way to gravitate towards that. And now we're at this point in time where I have this one tip, this superb long tip. It is light, it, it surpasses what I saw in that video. And that has to do with understanding the amount of pressure to use, the shape of the tips, the way they're burnished, uh, the tooth on the metal, all this stuff, the space between the tips, all that is important to the way that functions. So seeing that video, if I had never seen that video, of that person with that fountain pen, I don't know if I'd be here discussing the pens with you right now. So that was an important part that I left out. It's not only the commercial stuff, but what I had seen with somebody using a hundred year old fountain pen or dip hmm. pen or whatever it was. And uh, that, that still resonates in my mind. So right now I have this tip where I can, it's like when I use it, I'm thinking, damn, I got, I surpassed what that guy was doing. This is so cool. Cause I could get that swell even bigger and I could move it. And you know, that when, when I, when I have success, it's so cool. Can you do this with all the easy pens or is it a specific model? Um, some of them, I don't want that to happen because I'm afraid that people might bend the metal too much or whatever. There's some tip, there's a tip that I make a shorter version, which is a little bit stiffer. But this one tip in particular, this long, superb tip, man, it's like, that thing is just, you, you have to have, to use it, you have to have some understanding of a light touch. I don't think it's a, a beginner's tip because there, there's a certain sensitivity to it. Mm -hmm. But for anybody that's been doing hand lettering for a while and using dip pens, it's like, that's, it surpasses anything I've tried with a rose nib where you get these huge swells it just the feel of it is so nice and it's just man it's it's such a great such a great tip for just moving around and changing changing stroke weights or doing whatever the, the freedom of movement with it is really cool and as as i keep on playing tweaking this thing i'm making the tip sharper and sharper which does these extremely fine hairlines so you can take something that has an extremely fine hairline and then expand it to like almost uh, like 10 millimeter or 11 millimeter width in an instant just by tilting it. I want to know like, what's the difference actually between the pens? Okay, this says basic. This is a, like, is it like one is for the big? That's got the original flex tip in it. That's done with a, that's, I create that with a birch dowel rod. So I'm doing very minimal milling. It's got a nice finish on it. And that tip is glued into the pen body. So I don't have to create, I don't have to mill a aluminum ins threaded insert. It's saving me time on the technical construction. Okay. And the two pens below that have a superb short in there. That superb short is like a larger version of that tip. It's a little bit stiffer. It's more durable. You can move that on the, you can move it on a paper surface without too much concern of it bending out of shape or whatever. That, the original flex tip is a really great tip, but it, it's a softer grade of metal. So if you have somebody that's got a really heavy hand, 
that might not be the best starting tip for them. But, it, you know, some people just, they, they don't have that heavy hand. They understand how to just grab something and move it and whatever. But if for somebody that's like using a lot of hand pressure, soft metal is not exactly the best tip. So you'd switch into something that would be a superb short, which is thicker metal, more durable. So which model is for the heavy handed people? The, the superb short, that so would be a really good start for a heavy handed. Which is, which is it like, this is basic? It's the second, it's the two. Essential? Ten, right, the two in the photo next. Okay. The second one down, that's superb short. Okay, and uh, what, what's about, what about this one? And that's a dual pen. And this is, this is why I started doing the dual pen because that's, that pen has a threaded insert. It's got tips that can be exchanged. If a tip breaks, you can purchase a, you know, you can purchase a replacement or whatever it is. And here, I, the reason I started doing two pens is when I was making, there were many times I would make a easy a original flex tip for somebody. And I was thinking, Oh my God, you know, they might end up bending this. So then I would send them a tip that was a little bit stiffer without, you know, I would end up sending them two tips anyway, just so they'd be on the safe side. If they were, if they were purchasing outside of the United States, I didn't want them to deal with a hassle of trying to get a repair tip or anything. So then I reached the conclusion, just do a pen that has two tips. People could decide what tips they want. Mm -hmm. That way, if what they're using is feels too soft or they don't like it, they can get, some, they can, uh, thread in the tip that's a little bit stiff or whatever, then they'll have good, they'll have better success with it. So I'm trying to cover the base of maybe if the pen doesn't work out initially, you have another option. Yeah. And some people that have purchased that, they want to go with, you know, a much larger, it's like they know how to use it and they just want a larger tip and a smaller tip just for variation. So, mm -hmm. and what about these one? Okay, you hit this like the different holder. Oh, or? those are fan. You know what? Those are really not necessary, but those are laminated. Sometimes, sometimes people contact me and they want to see, you know, a fancier pen body or whatever. But if you scroll down all the way down, okay, that tip that's in the middle What's of that, that illustration—that's the superb long tip. That is the tip that I think that's the best tip I've made because. The ability to go from a hairline to something super thick or even get a little bit of texture, that tip will do it. And it's just, it, I, I don't know of any other tip that's like that. I, um, the one that's the furthest to the right this one? and the one next to that, those both have a flat edge. And okay. those are cool because what it is, it's almost like using an italic nib in a way where if you touch that flat edge on the paper surface, you're going to get a very bold mark from it. And then you could switch, rotate the tip around, and then you could have an arc side, which is going to limit the amount of metal contacting the paper. So it's, you know, it's like a switch up nib where you can go back into like thick and thin just by rotating. So it's, those are a lot of fun to play around with. Okay. Is any of those pens available or you make pens whenever people order? I make them when people contact me. Okay. So, um, you know, if, if somebody contacts me, if I'm not swamped making a lot of pens with a lot of pen orders, it usually takes me a few days. If I have a lot of pen orders going on, it could be one week or two weeks before I'm able to deliver them. Because 
I'm only able to make two or three of them per day. If I have like 10 people contacting me, it's going to take a little while. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a slow process to do it, but the quality of it is very high. So how can people buy the pens? Is it via the website or do they have? Right. They go onto the website and then it's got a, um, in an inquiry page, you would send, you know, I'm interested in a basic or whatever that would be. Yeah, the inquiry, the last one, you would have to, there's a little message box in there. You would have to fill that in with your name and then you just hit the send. And I would receive that by email. Okay. Yeah. And I have had, you know, some people tell me that there's a code that you have to type in. Yeah. Uh, that the web, the webmaster set that up. And what, sometimes they get errors. I think that's the web service that i'm using it's whatever you send me it's going to go through because sometimes i get repeat messages so i you know that's i didn't do the, i'm not the programmer for that website it's just a hosting service okay i have a question is there any specific model that people are getting the most or that they love the, the most the ones using? that get the request for the request for the most is the original flex and disco this is probably due to seeing yves videos is it the basic you, one or essential right right that's the tip in that pen okay you could you that the tip in that pen is also made as a threaded tip where it'll work with an easy a dual but that is the that's the tip that i get the most requests on mm -hmm. and and i've always felt that that tip might be too the metal might be too thin for some people with a heavy hand mm -hmm. so usually when i when i talk to somebody through email i start getting an idea of what might work better for them so every every pen order i get it, there's a personal connection in there where i'll have email contact with someone and then i could kind of tell that I'll, I'll make a suggestion well just on based on what you're telling me maybe we should try something a little thicker stiffer and there's even times where i've got i i have five tips listed there but sometimes after reading somebody's email or seeing an example of what they're doing, I might tweak a tip that's made especially for them okay. because it's the amount to handle the amount of pressure they're using or, or the experience they might have. So that's the cool aspect of making pens is that I can make something that is specifically for the person that's discussing the pen. And I, I think I'm knowledgeable enough at this point in time to tweak the metal or use certain layers or do whatever that I'm going to make something that functions properly for them. So it's, it's pretty cool to have that, have that ability to custom make something for somebody, you know, it's all about getting a good tool. Last time I asked you, so you are up to make a discount for like 20 people, right? Yeah. Right. So, right. so guys, like we, we discussed that, I don't think the prices should be put down, but since I like, I really want to support Alan. I love uh, what he does. His paints are amazing. Just to encourage you guys, the first 20 people to order uh, the pen from uh, Alan will get 10% discount. Uh, and to get those 10% discount, just where I showed you on the website, when you do the inquiry, just write a comment with the code Calligraphy Masters, and Alan will know there too. We go to give you 10% of the price. Uh, I don't support like putting the price down, but this is just to encourage you because uh, I love his work and I just really want to support him. So 
if there are any people of you who don't have that problem with the money please guys go and get one or two pens for you uh, you will love the, this those pens and uh, you won't regret it if you're someone who can't afford them but you know people that might be interested feel free to send them this uh, podcast and uh, yeah I, I do have to say though right now i'm looking at these I, I discussed this. I'm looking at, I'm making a lot of mock pens of okay. cheap pine and some on a hardwood. And I really do think there's going to be a point in time where I start, I start selling a pen that's like this. And the reason, the reason being is that this shape, Brody, Brody once told me initially early on, he said, your pens are too thick. The pen handles are too thick. Yves like thicker pen handles because of a fatigue issue. You like something to grasp onto. But I thought that was a really valid comment by Brody because when I've used the pointed brush, a thin handle, I could rotate it. I could manipulate that real easy. And with this shape, this allows my hand, the way I hold it, it really allows me to rotate and switch the angles of metal. So this is something that's going on in my mind right now. I keep on doing these mock pens. I'll probably send some pine, pen pens, pen pens made out of pine to people that I've had contact with so they can try it. You know, I want to get feedback on this thing, but I think eventually that's going to be something that I offer on the website and it's a really good, it's a really good progression for the pen and the tip. Uh, which is changing from a straight shaft. So that's that's where I'm headed. I just, I it's like, I cannot stop lettering with this thing right now. And if I show videos, if I'm lettering with this, people are gonna go, why aren't you using the pen? That, the pen body that's on your website. And then I'm gonna have to explain because this one, it just, it, it allows my hand to just move it like a like a musical instrument. It's It's just so nice, so. You know, you, you never know with this stuff. <laughs> well, why don't you offer this holder as well in that case? Um, I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to duplicate. I don't know what, I don't know how to, I'd have to build a duplicator to duplicate that shape. Okay. So everything's going to be a little bit different there. You know, one person would get one thing that doesn't look like what somebody else has. And it's just, when, when you start doing stuff for reproduction, you do have to have some degree of duplication involved. So, but this is, you know, maybe in a year from now, I'll figure out how to duplicate that. But that is, I think that uh, that's a really good, really good progression with it all. And it, it does tie into the tip. It's not just the pen handle, it's being able to move that tip. So, you know, the thing in life is you just, life progresses but sometimes you look at things that were done previously and then there's a connection to it there's no there's no way of knowing it's always like searching for things looking at what was done previously and then how do you incorporate the good elements of that so everything comes keeps on morphing and changing into a better better solution and that's um that's a fascinating that's a fascinating aspect with the pens I, you know i don't know what they're going to be from one year to the next well, uh, only the time will show. Yeah. <laughs> Is there something that uh, I haven't asked you, but maybe you wanted to share about the pens? I don't know. We've covered, uh, you know, when we first, 
we're talking, I was going to go into this long spiel about my background and the commercials, the commercial part of it. And what, what, what I thought was interesting was the time I came into it, it was pre-digital. Mm-hmm. And that was so different than what it is now because you had artist reps and you, it was a, it was a totally different time. And I was so fortunate to be the age I am to have gotten into it before everything started going digital, you know, and I got to watch the industry change where people started using the computers and, you know, then we, and, and what seemed to kind of kill that was there was a great recession in the U S and after that food packaging became very safe and the hand lettering thing was kind of like out the window and people were doing a lot of types of stuff. So I got to see the decline of, of what I was familiar with was the hand lettering. It became, people were using types of stuff more safe or it's like very sterile. And that went on for a while. And when I think about that previous time, I, you know, you can't go in the past or anything, but I think I was very fortunate to have gotten into something where it involved a lot of drawing. You know, there was no command Z back then. (laughs) You had to understand, you know, when I was was inking lettering for production art, I would have to cut hand templates. So you would go over the template with a rapidograph pen and it it took forever to do a double outline on something. And then I would shoot photo stats of it. I would retouch the photo stats. I would make rub down transfers, do whatever. So there were all these things that they no longer exist. That stuff is all that technical stuff, all that way art was created is it's out the window. It doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. But I think all that stuff of understanding how to do stuff technically, it plays into what I'm doing with pens. There's some connection with it, with tweaking stuff, using different uh, assembly setups and all that stuff. So there's, if I hadn't, if I hadn't, have had that career there there would be no pens right now there's some there's some real strong connection with that pre-digital uh, way of producing art that's connected with pens right now and uh, it's i i don't know of anybody else that had a career that way uh, i i think a lot of the people that uh, started pre-digital there aren't very many of them around right now you know so uh, it's a uh, Boy, that was, uh, it was so cool to work in ad art studio to see all these phenomenal illustrators. And then, you know, none of them are doing that stuff anymore. That one of the world's most amazing illustrators who had been in society. Now he, he does home remodeling. You know, it's like all these guys, all these guys that I knew, all, all these men and women I knew, they just, they left the profession after a while. And I, I sort of still stayed in it and I'm, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I got tonight. I have to work on someone contacted me, and I have to work on a logo, a six-letter logo, and I'll be up till two or three a.m. And they contact me because they said we can't find anybody else that understands legibility or whatever. So it's like I'm kind of a dinosaur with this stuff, and I still have this this understanding of letter form readability and all that. And I'm watching. I'm watching everything change. You know, it's like I. I there's going to be a point in time where nobody even knows what that error was about. So if you, if you get a pen there, there's a connection with pre-digital with it, you know, it's just, 
it's life experiences that go into making the pen. It's just not something that happens right away. There's all these life experiences that are connected with it, and it's it's a unique it's a unique tool, and uh, that's probably why there's not other tips made that way or nibs made that way because of the guy who had this very strange career. <laughs> well, thanks God, that, <laughs> thanks God that this guy had this career because you created yeah. something unique, and uh, I, like I still don't have one. I'll get one soon, but. I, I already yeah. I already love it. You know, you have you have to have one as a follow-up to understand. You know, we can talk about this and you could see on video what it is, or you could look at somebody else, but until you actually dip it in ink, use it and move it, you really don't know. It's there's no way of knowing what the pen is like until you actually have it in your hand and can experience some of it. And there's also, you know, there's also a technical side to keeping the ink plates clean you know there's maintenance on it mm. because you have a very thin space for that ink to flow through so it's not like something that you could just like dip in ink and set it aside you have to clean the pen and i i do mention this on the website but you know it's um boy man i was i was so lucky to I, you know i'm i'm really fortunate to have uh, you know have come up with this combination of pressure metal bending metal layers and all that stuff that allows that tip to move in any direction on the paper surface i mean it's it's not a ruling pen people say it's a ruling pen and it's not because a ruling pen does not bend you know the whole thing is you could bend that metal and that's what steps it's like you know it's i i i once said to somebody, it's like getting high when you're using this thing because it's like you hit this mark. It's like, oh my God, that, you know, that is so cool. But that's, you know, that's that's the pen. So, well, um, it is unlike any other pen. And this is super cool. Like uh, you just heard earlier, he's done probably around 10,000, which means not many people have any of those pens. If you want to be one of those special people, uh, the link will be in the description. Go get yourself a pen. As I said, the first 20 people which uh, contact uh, Alan with Code Calligraphy Masters will get 10% off. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, Alan, for being on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, and uh, like, oh yeah, before, <laughs> for those of you who are on YouTube, if you are watching, please let me know if. You, if, if you own one of those pens or if you never seen or heard anything about it, also let me know if you would like to have one or you're going to order. With that said, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And as, as always, always, keep writing. writing. Okay, bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, guys. Uh, as you see, this is a different kind of podcast. First time we have a pen maker. And let me tell you guys, uh, Probably, I don't know, a few weeks after I recorded this podcast, uh, Alan sent me three pens. Believe me or not, I was saving these pens for months. For months, they were sitting in the package. To be honest, I opened them like probably two months ago. I was saving them because I wanted to try them for before or after the podcast. I wanted to make a review, but the last 
year it's been crazy like that was also the reason the podcast was on hold but now that i edited the podcasts and the message i received from alan i don't know i feel kind of bad mm, alan alan is an amazing person uh, once i finish my message right now there's like two three more minutes from the pot it's, it's not from the podcast like usually when i finish the podcast we still speak with the guest and i haven't asked him if i can share this but i'll do it because i want you to see what passion he has for the pens and how much he puts into them so i really want to encourage you guys if you don't have any of those pens please please go and go get some you won't regret it i promise you you won't regret it those pens are amazing i've been having a lot of fun with them to be honest i prefer this one i think this is the basic one this is the one i have most fun with and actually i'm i'm able to write most with this those are also cool but i haven't fig exactly figured out how to work with them i'm pretty sure there are people which can produce amazing stuff with them i just haven't figured it yet out and yeah as i said there is a discount i'm not sure anymore if this discount is still works uh you can try the first 20 people can try but i'm not promising as i said this was last year recorded and yeah the goal is not to get to get it cheaper but really to support alan i don't know what to say guys uh, i'll leave you to the last second uh, of last two three minutes of what we spoke after we finish it before uh, i let you watch or listen to this as always, if you're new to the channel, please subscribe. If you enjoyed this podcast, like will be much appreciated. And please, guys, comment. Uh, from this week, actually from the episode with Eves, anyone who leaves comments on the episodes has a chance to win one of those. The first winner will be announced in three days from now, because I guess... Right now it's not Friday, but this episode is coming out on Friday. So I won't have the winner for Eve's episode, but next month, like in three days, <laughs> I'll announce the first winner who will get one of the Rigor Master's Alphabet prints. Too much talking. Like, guys, I'm sorry. It's a bit confusing, but it's 1, 1 a.m. here and uh, it's been a long day. <laughs> like, subscribe, comment. Keep writing. Love you guys. So, well, that was good. I don't know if I'm rambling on too much, but uh, no, don't worry. I, it's a great. Like I enjoyed sending everything, so it's good. You know, and they, send me your send me your address, and when I get done with my orders, I'll send you. You know what I'm gonna send you? I'm gonna send you one of these one of these handles. This is this is this handle is kick. I didn't want to say this, but this is a kick-ass handle. <laughs> this this surpasses anything I've done because what it's got texture grooves in it and this shape for for the intent of the design this is right on the mark you know but when I when I was doing the pens it seemed like the way I can make more of them is with a straight shaft or whatever that was an easier alternative this takes more time but it is so direct and it's it's right to the point 
Mm. And anyone that's got skills that's been lettering for a while, you know, they'll know when they touch this thing. Cause uh, man, this, this is really good. So this is what I'll send you, but I got to get your address. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll make sure to promote good depends in the next few months. Cause yeah, yeah. like uh, I think you deserve much more audience and people to get their hands on those pens. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you doing the podcast and I, we, we spoke, I briefly spoke about this. I, you know, every now and then in life, somebody helps me that is totally unexpected. Here's the thing in life. When you help someone, sooner or later it comes back to you. And I mean, there's something good will happen with no. both of us. And it, 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 it just makes life better, you know, and I, there's times where I try to help somebody and I, there, you don't never expect anything, but something good something good comes up so i really do appreciate it i, I don't have the right words no it's you know? uh, the, the pleasure is all mine because you know like this world is fucked up enough and like yeah. the least we can do is to help and support each other like we're like we are over humans we all have all kinds of crazy stuff in our heads in our lives so it costs nothing to help some people like yeah you know and, and that's i didn't want to discuss that but there's uh, we're in some serious trouble over here in the u.s and i it's like I don't want to, I don't want to be online with any of that. So I, the majority of my time is I'm concentrating on this pen, even though I, I'm well aware of what's happening. But I want to do something positive with my day, something positive. And you know, there's people that are going way beyond that. When you look at how they're helping refugees in Ukraine, Ukraine, and it's like this, this pen stuff is nothing compared to that. But yet. If I make a pen for somebody and they have a good experience, it's better to do that than, you know, go into some deep, horrible hole where. Of course. I, I don't understand that, and it's from the time I'm at. Also, I'm, I, you know, I'm. I grew up in the '60s and all that. I, I, you know, I don't. I don't understand why people. There's so much hatred and stuff, but so. By making these pens, I can share with somebody there's something good that comes out of it. And it's a much better way to spend whatever remaining time I have on the planet, you know? Yeah. So that's that's what it is. Oh, you know? you're doing an amazing job, Alan. And uh, I'm really happy that uh, we had this opportunity to talk <laughs> yeah. and have you on the podcast. And you have got to try that superb log because, yeah, that is the tip. That is, that is, the, that is the tip. And I figured out how to make a really sharp point on that. Where it's like, it, surpa it surpasses that, maybe Todd Swan. I mean, my God. And I can imagine with somebody that's, I, I don't know if Yves will ever get, Yves doesn't want me to send him pens anymore because he has too many. But somebody that's really good, if they get that in their hands, it's like, look out. This thing is, it's a killer, man. It is, you know. So I'm going to send you one of those and you can play with it. But that is the one. If I only have one tip, that's the tip. That is so cool. So, awesome. I'm super okay. excited about it. Can't wait. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll, talk, we'll chat later.